1: Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. And as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're looking at the Philadelphia Experiment. Just before we get into that though, I just want to say if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you use. Also, if you want to go ahead and leave us a review on whatever that platform is that you use, that helps us massively. And as well, if you know someone who is interested in the paranormal, please share this podcast onto them. That really helps us grow and get in front of a new audience. You can also find us on our socials, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, if you just want to reach out to me, you can send me a DM on either one of those or you can email me at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Always love hearing from you guys, uh, your stories or any sort of feedback or anything you want to pass on. It's uh, always great to hear from you all. The Philadelphia Experiment is a case I came across quite a long time ago. I feel like I was quite young and I'd watched a documentary on it. Uh, maybe on the Discovery Channel or Nat Geo History, something along those lines. And I had no idea how deep this case went. I thought it was kind of just the initial story and not much more to it. But it, it's a really fascinating. And the more you look into it, um, maybe the less believable, you could probably say, you kind of um, start to view this case. But either way, I feel like it's such a popular conspiracy theory that pops up time time again. It happened almost 80 years ago now. And I feel like if it's still as relevant today as it was um, more maybe like 60 years ago when it kind of became uh, known to the public, I think it's definitely something worth looking into here on this podcast. So this took place in Philadelphia on October 28th, 1943. The USS Eldridge was a cannon class destroyer escort used throughout the war. The ship was selected to do a top-secret experiment, trying to make the ship invisible to radar. According to witnesses, when the experiment began, a bluey-green mist engulfed the hull of the ship. The ship began to flicker in and out of view as if it was a light turning on and off, and the next moment, it disappeared. It was gone for a matter of minutes, and in that amount of time, the ship left Philadelphia and appeared in Norfolk, Virginia, in a shipyard there, before reappearing back in the dock in Philadelphia. Now, that was a story that I mostly knew. We're going to talk a little bit more about the crew and what they experienced in that time, but just to kind of set a bit of a ground for what we're looking at here, this was a ship that apparently had a top secret experiment run on it to make it invisible to radar. And whatever that means exactly, whether they were trying to make the ship actually invisible, supposedly that's what happened. So, supposedly, this took place in October of 1943. Now, this wasn't spoken about until some years later. And the way this all comes about is extremely strange. Maurice K. Jessup was a ufologist. He had a master's degree in science and in astronomy. He didn't use his degree in his everyday life, though. He was an automobile parts dealer. But on the side, he was a ufologist who wrote books. In 1955, he released a book titled The Case of the UFO, which got him quite a bit of notoriety. In this book, he made the argument that UFOs deserve to be researched further into. In The Case of the UFO, Jessup writes about Einstein's unified field theory. Now, this is a theory that has never been proved. And uh, I had to get my head around this a little bit, to be honest. But theoretically, this could be used to manipulate the space-time continuum. With this theory, time travel and visibility could actually be something that was non-fiction. Jessup wrote that unified field theory should be further studied to see if it could actually be proven. Jessup was a big believer in the idea that we should fund programs to research into anti-gravity and Einstein's unified field theory. He believes this is the gateway to establish effective and economical space travel. A year later, in 1956, Jessup receives a letter from a Philadelphia man named Carlos Allende. In this letter, Allende wanted Jessup to know that he had witnessed unified field theory firsthand. The reason for Allende reaching out as well was to tell Jessup that he should drop the notion of further looking into the unified field theory. This is where Allende goes into detail about witnessing the Philadelphia experiment. Allende goes on to write that in October 1943, he was working on a cargo ship that was docked next to the USS Eldridge. Allende described exactly what I did earlier with the green-bluey mist and the ship disappearing. But he continues on that once the boat reappeared, you could hear audible screams from the crew. Some of them were missing, some of them were actually fused into the metal of the ship, and others had just gone completely mad. Whatever took place on that boat during that experiment, it clearly hadn't gone to plan. Allende even went on to mention that sailors, after getting off the boat, were even disappearing. Apparently, there was two sailors that got into a bar fight, and amongst the fight, they just vanished. Obviously, these letters that Jessup received from Allende were really interesting, but he didn't know what to make of them. They were kind of just out of nowhere, but... This man apparently saw this ship vanish and these people who were quite badly disfigured and sent insane, but he had no real proof. And not to mention that the letters that he was receiving were incredibly misspelt. The punctuation was bad and he would even randomly capitalise words. It was written really sporadically, he would kind of say. It was just something wasn't quite adding up. Now, my understanding is that they did send letters backwards and forwards to each other. I guess maybe Jessup just trying to pick his brain and see what this character was all about. Another year goes past, and we're in 1957. And Jessup is strangely contacted by the Office of Naval Research, also known as the ONR. Now, the ONR is an executive branch agency within the Department of Defence. ONR supports the President's budget and provides technical advice to the Chief of Naval Operations and the Secretary of the Navy. Now, why is this car parts salesman who is a ufologist on the side, why is he being approached by this government agency? He's not sure, but he goes along to the meeting. And he meets with Admiral M. Firth, who has received a copy of Jessup's book, A Case for the UFO. Not only that, but it appears that three entities had written annotations in the margins. It appears that these three entities, uh, they all wrote in different coloured ink, appeared to be having conversations with one another as if the book was passed around. There's, there's a fair bit of variation in what was said, but there was a lot of talk of UFO craft extraterrestrials, and interesting enough as well, the Philadelphia experiment. When Jessup looked at the handwriting, he recognised one of the writers. The handwriting matched Carlos Allende's. It appeared that the ONR were not successful to find who had sent in the book. Uh, The address led to a dead end. One of the points made by these three writers that probably interested the ONR a fair bit was it seemed that they had knowledge that the US government had made breakthroughs with the unified field theory, using it for experiments. Now, I don't know what Jessup would have made of all this, but it's a very strange situation he's in. He's received these letters from a stranger saying he's seen this unified field theory actually work. He's seen this boat disappear. Alinda even claims that he had worked under Albert Einstein at one point as well. All these, you know, massive sort of claims and all of a sudden to be called in by a government agency interested in his book. Now, I don't know what you make of that, but I think that's a really interesting point, which I will come back to more so in the end. But the fact that the government was interested in this book about UFOs and these mysterious writers talking about things that maybe the government had known about. Another interesting point here is that the ONR had 127 copies made of this book. They had them privately printed and distributed by the military contractor Varo Manufacturing. These copies, hard to say exactly where they ended up, but they were most likely passed around different military organisations. The following year, 1959, Jessup committed suicide. He did it in his car by monoxide poisoning. He was found dead with a washing machine hose wired to his exhaust pipe, then run in through the crack in his window. When I first read about his suicide, I thought that was a bit unusual, and it appears that other people kind of feel the same, that it looked almost as if it was done professionally, where the hose that was used was from a washing machine rather than a garden hose, which was really unusual. The hose was actually wired onto the exhaust pipe so it couldn't come off. The window where it was rolled down to fit the hose, was filled with shirts and rags uh, so none of the fumes could get out. It's also, I don't know, I find it a bit strange that he did it uh, in a public space on uh, in a, in a road in Florida where I feel like, I don't know, when I've heard about other people committing suicide in this way, they might do it in their garage or I'm not sure, but there is reason why he would kill himself he had just gone through a divorce with his wife his book deals failed he i think the few last few books that he had written weren't um doing too well so then i have read reports that people who knew him it seems like he was onto something big and he was kind of being a little bit elusive to what was going on and maybe if something was to happen but i feel like over time People who look into this particular case who maybe want to find plot holes and, you know, kind of want to make a bit more of a conspiracy could probably play that stuff up. But regardless, I think it's it's a very interesting course of events that he sort of found himself in.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: Carl Salinde went quiet, but then some 20 years later, he actually came forward and did an interview where he disclosed his real name was Carl Meredith Allen. Uh, so he just added a few extra letters onto Carl and Allen. So another thing that came up was Carl Allen gave his sailor ID, which People were able to research into and discover he did work on a boat that shared the dock with the USS Eldridge at that time of 1943. Strangely, Alan did go on to admit at some point making the whole thing up, it was a hoax. But then he took that back and said, no, I was he had he had some whole reason for coming out and saying it was a hoax. Then he's gone back on it again. He seems like a really sporadic character. And from what I can tell, um, someone did some research into his family and they kind of got a bit of a background on him where he did kind of like to make things up and kind of, you know, test people and so on. Uh, it's, it's He's a very strange character. I mean, all you have to do is just, you know, look at what we've spoken about so far here and just go like, this, this doesn't really make any sense. And I feel the same. This took me a long time to kind of get my head all around um, just because it is bizarre. It's a very bizarre case. And it gets weirder again. So in 1984, a film with the title The Philadelphia Experiment is released. The film's description, just the like, little one-liner on IMDb, is a United States Navy destroyer escort participates in a Navy invisibility experiment that inadvertently sends two sailors 40 years into the future. A man by the name of Al Bielik watches the Philadelphia Experiment film. And strangely enough, he remembers, I guess, a past life of his. And he's believed to have been on the the USS Eldridge that day of the experiment. Carl Bealik goes on to say that the experiment didn't take place in October. It took place two months earlier on August 13th, 1943. Bealik goes on to say that his brother was on the ship with him on that day. When the ship was going through that experiment, they panicked and jumped off. But when they jumped overboard, they landed in the year... 2137. I know, this is, this is pretty wild, right? Someone's <laughs> literally just come forward now all these years later and said, I was there, it was on a different date, and I time-travelled. Somehow from there, Bielik says he was then sent forward to the year 2747. Here he stayed for two years before being transported back to 2137 to pick up his brother. <laughs> Bear with me here. At this point, he retrieves his brother and is sent to the year 1984. This is where they meet a man by the name of Dr. Van von Neumann, who convinces the two men to travel back to their original time in 1943 to stop the Philadelphia Experiment happening. Now, this this whole part of the story is really wild, and it kind of, I don't know what it really adds, but it, it is, I mean, it's, it's a part of the whole story. And Al Bielik, is quite a well-spoken man. I was listening to him on Coast to Coast just earlier today, pre-past, and he was talking about some really interesting things. Like he's he's definitely gone deep into these theories, I suppose. And he doesn't he doesn't sound like a lunatic by any means or anything, sort of along those lines. You know, someone kind of making something up. But I mean, at face value, you look at this and go hang on, he, he watched a film where kind of literally what, what takes part in the film where time travel happens, then he remembers that he has also time travelled. It's, it's extremely bizarre. This is what I mean when I was talking about the Philadelphia Experiment, how strange it really is. You know, you've got the boat disappearing when you've got these two very different entities with their stories about it happening. So what actually probably happened that day? So the government has never admitted to doing these experiments of trying to make the boats invisible on that particular day, on that particular ship. It is believed that they probably were trying to do something, a technique called degausing was probably used where they scrambled the magnetic signatures of ships to make them invisible to torpedoes. So when we talk about making a ship invisible, that is most likely what we're speaking about, is to actually make them invisible to enemies, not physically invisible. It is believed that the Elders did have some classified equipment on board, and that could have been potentially what they were dealing with there. So let's just say that the ship was made invisible and everything did happen as it's been explained. You know, the crew come back, some of just lost their mind, some are fused to the ship, some just disappear. They obviously would have had to have kept that quiet, right? And don't get me wrong, I guess something like that could happen. Extremely difficult to do. A big issue with that though as well is in 1951, the ship was sold to Greece and continued its life up until the 90s when it was scrapped. If you're gonna have a boat where you've done this classified experiment which went terribly wrong, you're probably not gonna sell it some years later to a different country and let them use it. I think when I first heard about the Philadelphia experiment, it was very it was it was extremely interesting and it's kind of one of those things you hear and you want you want it to be an actual thing that happened, and on the surface, before you actually start to look more into it and go, "Hang on, what's what? what it's all based off?" Is these men coming forward with these accounts? Because I honestly assumed that there, there was like hundreds of people on that day in 1943 who witnessed this happening, and they just they freaked out. You know, it was all tried to. It was all like a cover up. But you kind of start to look at things, and maybe that did happen. But from my research. Uh, I can't see any of that. It's literally from, mostly from from Carl Allen speaking through Jessup. It's not what I originally thought it was, which, you know, kind of discredits it a, a lot. Don't get me wrong there at all. But it is this interesting thing that it still holds up. It's still a conspiracy theory you hear about time and time again. It does its rounds, it pops up. I mean, here we are talking about it today. Um, But unfortunately, yeah, I don't think anything like that actually did take place. But I think the interesting thing to take away from all of this is that a government agency was interested in speaking to a man writing about UFOs. Because keep in mind, this is before Project Blue Book was known to the public that the government were doing UFO, were looking into UFOs. It's still the 50s. You know, there's a lot of UFO sightings from that time. It's quite a hot topic, but... The government isn't coming out and admitting 20 of this, you know. 1943, supposedly, when this all took place, the Philadelphia Experiment, this is some years still before Roswell even happened. But, yeah, the government is definitely not like they are now, where we have all this disclosure. People are actually starting to admit that this stuff's happening. Yet, this admiral wants to meet with this author to talk about these bizarre annotations in a book that he wrote. That is the real takeaway for me. What What did they want with that? And then to make 120 odd copies of that and pass them around. It's it's extremely interesting. I think it's just the biggest takeaway. Where regardless, yeah, you know, it doesn't really have anything to do with a ship supposedly disappearing. It's more about what were they curious about. Maybe, you know, with some of this writing, they're onto something. Who knows is Amaral even knew anything, but he maybe wanted to know a little more what was going on. Maybe he had some suspicion of what was possible. Or, you know, maybe he was just extremely interested in the idea of unified field theory and could that actually be something that happens. He's got these people writing in this book saying that it does exist and it's how UFO craft operates and all these kind of extreme theories. But, you know, who's to say... They, you know, they weren't onto something. But regardless, just for him to take the meeting and them trying to track him down, you think if you receive something like that, you, I'm surprised they even opened it. You see the cover and go, oh, this is like, why am I getting a book about UFOs? Throw it out. But the fact that they took that meeting is the biggest takeaway for me. It's, it's extremely interesting. And unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know any more what came from that. But... For me, I probably wouldn't even touch this topic if it wasn't just for that little bit, because, you know, it's it's a cool it's a cool conspiracy theory and it's it's fun to talk about. But just that little bit of information, which I feel like people don't maybe talk about enough. I feel like everyone who does research into this does mention it, but for me, that was just it was huge. You know, it was a smoking gun of just like something. And I don't know what exactly, but there's definitely more going on there that, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to know any more about, but it's extremely fascinating to kind of get this early account of government being somewhat interested in what people may know about UFOs and, and extraterrestrial life. That's the thing. I've spoken about this at great length on this podcast. I don't buy into the government involvement a ton. Obviously, it's there. It exists. I'm fully aware of that, but I like to speak to experiences, uh, the people who are actually having these accounts and trying to piece a story from what they all witness and experience, that's that's more where my interest lies. But definitely the government involvement in the last few years, that all coming out, it's extremely interesting. Is it a lot of disinformation? I'm sure. But at the same time, I feel like everyone's working towards a similar goal. I feel like this is like a very early piece of that all kind of happening, so I think I've made my point pretty clear. I don't think the Philadelphia experiment happened the way that it's been described. I think maybe there was a top secret uh, experiment that went on um, during that time. There was a lot. There was a lot of interesting um, technology being played with during those times, as we know. But unfortunately, I don't think. <laughs> what uh, what I watched at the age of eight on the Discovery Channel uh, is, is what happened exactly, unfortunately. But it was definitely worth looking into this case. I think it's important to familiarise, I think for myself to familiarise myself with um, cases like this because it definitely, you just learn something each time. And for me, just find that little golden bit of um, information there about about the Office of Naval Research being interested in ufology. I think that's that's the biggest takeaway for me for this episode. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got something out of it. I really appreciate you guys listening. Love getting to talk about conspiracy theories. I haven't done it a ton on this podcast, but I think it's something I should do more of because it's just fascinating to uncover these stories, especially when they're, you know, like 80 years old and they still hold up today. Like we're still talking about it. It's so fascinating. I think Regardless of your opinion on it at the end of the day, there's a reason why there's so much notoriety around it. You know, we keep talking about it it's because it's it's got some really interesting and bizarre little bits. It's got some really interesting little insights throughout which you always just go, mm, but that doesn't kind of line up, does it? So I think that's, that's what makes a great conspiracy theory. 100%. So, as I said, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Please subscribe and share with anyone who you think might be interested in Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. It really helps us. And with that, I'll catch you in another podcast episode really soon. Thanks. Bye.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time.